Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. You know, the older I get, the more that I hate wasting time. Anybody else? According to an April 2020 survey by Timex, the average person wastes over six hours a week on all kinds of mundane things and activities. Here's the top three. Sitting in traffic, that's always fun. Waiting in lines, whether it's a doctor's office, post office, store, or my favorite, the DMV. Uh, Or being stuck on hold. Those are your top three. Now, do you realize the average person spends six months of their life sitting at red lights? That's why I run them. No, that's not why I run them. Okay, understand. That's a joke, okay? Um, According to the American Time Use Survey from the Department of Labor Statistics, we spend on average every day over an hour writing, checking, and reading emails. Over an hour every day. Two hours and 20 minutes a day on social media. Some of you a lot more. Over three hours a day watching TV, Netflix, and the like. So much wasted time, so much wasted energy, so much wasted money, all resulting in a wasted life. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want you to waste your life. We need to be wiser. We must be wiser. And Psalm 27, 127 is going to help us be wiser. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible, open it up, and go to Psalm 127. Now, it's a psalm of wisdom because it's a psalm written by the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. And it's a psalm of ascents or a song of ascents. And there's 15 of these psalms that are in the Psalter, and and Psalm 120 through 134, and right in the middle is Psalm 127. And, And this was sung by the Israelites is that as they would ascend up to Jerusalem at three major feasts that they would go to, okay? They would go to the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would sing these on their way up to Jerusalem as they gathered with the people of God to worship, as they gathered as families to worship, as they came together in God's house with God's people to worship. See, gathering with God's people in God's house, has always been a priority for the people of God. And they would sing these songs going up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, up to this place of worship, and they all needed to be reminded of these truths. Just look at the first two verses of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. See, they needed to be reminded that without the Lord, they were going to waste their lives. And I need to be reminded of that. And so do you. That unless the Lord is an integral part of our lives... We're going to waste a lot of our lives. So don't waste your life. What's the first thing we learn? Well, let God build it. 
Unless the Lord builds a house, they're going to labor in vain that build it. What house? Whose house? Well, remember the context. They have left their own houses on their way to Jerusalem. And they're seeing houses everywhere as they're traveling the, lands, the, the, the landscape. And then they come into the city and they see large clusters of houses. And then they enter into the house of God, the temple that is there. It's not unlike you. You see hundreds of houses every single day. You see them in your neighborhood. You saw them as you drove by here to church. And now you're in God's house, the house of God. And God wants to help us build our houses. Do you realize no one builds them like God and God is in the house building business? So let them build your house. And, and house can mean many different things as we're going to look here. But Proverbs 14 11 tells us the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. The tent of the upright will thrive, will grow, will be blessed. The tent doesn't sound like much of a house. The little home of the godly may not look like much to the people of this world, some of them. But God can cause it to grow and flourish and bless it and it'll thrive. See, with God building and God blessing, you're guaranteed your house is going to be a lasting home and a blessed home. Home can also mean the relationships within your home. Let God build your home. Let God build your marriage. Let God build your family. For some of us here, you're at home, you're here. For some of us, we need some rehab work in our marriages. We need some rehab work in our families. See, God needs to pour a new foundation because it started to crack. God needs to repair that leaky roof. God needs to replace those drafty windows where the influence of the world has been blowing into our marriages or into our families and taking a toll. So let God do some rehab work in your marriage. Let him do that in your family. Because if we don't, it's all vain. It can also mean a spiritual home. They're making their way to the house of God unless God builds this house, unless God builds this ministry. We don't want a man-made church, amen? We want God to do his work here. We want God to show up. We want to engage with the living God. Or it's all vain, like many churches. Many churches are just religious country clubs. That's all they are. They're just religious institutions that are empty. They just go through traditions that mean nothing. We want God to build his house here. Oh, and by the way, when he builds his church, the gates of hell can't prevail against it. So let God help you build. Let him do it. And what's so encouraging here is that we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to struggle. He says, let me help you. And by the way, when God builds, he builds with only the best of material. And this is what he wants us to use when we build. Proverbs 24, 3, by wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is one reason why so many homes fall apart today, because more husbands and wives are interested in paint color than they are with the wisdom of God. They're more interested in the furniture being perfect than having God's understanding. They're more interested in the cabinetry and the countertops and the flooring and the latest styles instead of saying, God, we need to build with your knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with those other things. But you better not leave out the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge of God. See, too many people in this world, they build cheap. 
And they cut corners. And they cut out wisdom. And they cut out knowledge. And they cut out understanding. They cut out the blueprint that will bless your family and your marriage and your home. They cut out the word of God. It can't last. It'll be vain without the Lord. So, so let God build it. Or if it's all for nothing, let God back on the job. Let God back in your home. Let God back in your marriage. Let him build it. And by the way, the word build is present tense. He's going to keep on building it. And keep on building it. And keep on building it. Let him back in. See, God needs to be more than your Sunday morning weekend consultant. He needs to be your architect, engineer, general contractor, and subcontractor in every area. So today, hand over your home. Hand over your marriage. Hand over your family. If you want it to be a lasting thing of beauty blessed by God, hand it over to God. And by the way, you can trust him. He's got some really impressive past projects you can look at. Here's one of them, Proverbs 3.19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. Hey, if he made the heaven and the earth, he can handle your home. He can handle your marriage. Jeremiah 10.12. It is he who made earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he stretched out the heavens. So the same power, the same wisdom, the same understanding that God used in creating the stars and the galaxies and this planet he says, hey, it's available for your marriage. Do you want it? It's available for your parenting. Do you want it? This incredible power and understanding and knowledge is available for you and your, for your family. He says, let me help you. Let me in. And by the way, there's no hopeless cases. God's been dealing with us humans for thousands of years. He knows how to handle a marriage. Just do it his way. He knows how to take care of a home. Invite him into it. And if you don't, it's all vain. It's all empty. Unless you let the Lord build it. It's all meaningless. It's all worthless. See, a home empty of God is a home empty of purpose. A home empty of God is a home empty of meaning. So don't waste your life. Let God build it. Secondly, trust God to protect it. Trust God to protect it. We read in the second part of verse 1, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. What is all of this about? Well, remember the context. Thousands and tens of thousands of people all over Israel are making their way to Jerusalem, making their way to the temple. And as they get to the city, it's a really impressive sight. It's a fortress city. They're coming from these little towns and they're coming to this fortress city surrounded by thick high walls and they enter through these massive gates. I took this picture about three years ago when we took a trip to Israel. By the way, if you want to go to Israel with us, we're going to do it in another two or three years. And this is the Damascus gate that points north. And there's eight such gates around the city of Israel, or Jerusalem. And, and back then, there would have been armed guards keeping watch over the city. And by the way, they still have armed guards today. There they are. Israel was surrounded by enemies then. Israel is surrounded by enemies today. 
And Solomon knew though, and Solomon's kingdom was a kingdom of peace, but he even knew you can only do so much. You can only do so much to protect your city. And you can't be overly impressed with man-made defenses and barricades. Pride comes before a fall. Yes, be wise, and yes, be responsible, and yes, stay alert, and yes, have a plan of action, and, and yes, think like this guy, Oliver Cromwell. He was an English military and political leader in the 1600s, and he rose to power after coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he fervently believed that God was the one guiding him and God was the one giving him the victories during the English Civil Wars that lasted nine years in the 1600s. And he had the right idea when he said this to his troops. Put your trust in God, my boys, and keep your powder dry. He said, you just make sure you do your part and fully trust God to do his part. And that's what some of us need to do. We need to make sure we're doing our part, but we're living a life of faith. And we're trusting God to do his part, his protection, his power. Proverbs 21.30, there's no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. That's why you wait on the Lord. He can't be beat. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, so prepare your horse, so to speak. But victory belongs to the Lord. And that's exactly what newly elected governor of Virginia understands. Here's a picture of Glenn Youngkin with his wife and Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears and her husband and Attorney General Jason Myers and his wife. And what are they doing? They're standing around the seal of the state of Virginia. This was just the other day. And I want to read Glenn Youngkin's words and I want to read his prayer to you. There's no way to embark on what is in front of us without asking for help, Jason Winsome. And I and these amazing people who have gifted, us to, God, gifted to us as husbands and wives join us, please, in prayer, in a moment of prayer for the commonwealth. And here is his prayer based on Psalm 121. Heavenly Father, we lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. Father, as we embark on these next four years, we ask you to guide our steps so they are your steps. We ask you to bless our words so that we speak, they speak your heart, not ours. Father, we ask that you give us the strength to do the work that needs to be done. We ask that you soften our hearts so that we can see the good in everyone. Father, we invite you into the next four years. Bring Virginians together, Virginians of all faiths, of all walks of life, from every corner, from the coal fields of Western Virginia to the beaches of my home, to memorials that represent so many fallen across this commonwealth. Father, we ask for your help. We thank you for today. We thank you for the hope and optimism represented by this movement that has brought us all here together. Finally, Father, we pray all this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Wow. Amen. We need this. We need this a thousand times over at every level of government in this nation. Humble men and women of God, humbly seeking the Lord in prayer. Why? Because it's vain without God. It's all vain. This is what we need. Forget build back better. It's time to bring back God. That's what we need in this nation, and that's what we need in our lives. Can you imagine if every governor, including the governor of Illinois, and mayor, and senator, and Supreme Court justices, and judges across this nation, and congressmen, and congresswomen, and vice president, and president would humbly seek God what he could do in this nation? Because unless the Lord builds it, unless the Lord guards it, it's all in vain. It's worthless. It means nothing. And the same is for your life. And the same is for my life. 
And the same is for your marriage and the same is for our homes and the same is for our businesses. You gotta bring God back into your life. You gotta bring him back into your business. You need to bring him back into your marriage. You need to bring him back into your parenting. You need to invite God back and ask God back because unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So let God build it. Trust God to protect it. Thirdly, ask God to provide it. Don't waste your life. Ask God to provide it. He wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for us. He loves to provide for his children. Look at verse 2, Psalm 127. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. And up to this point, it's been they, they, they. They labor, they watch. Now it's you. Remember the context, what is going on here. Remember, they are traveling away from home by the thousands. They're making their way to Jerusalem. Some of them will be gone upwards of three weeks, depending on how far they lived from the capital city. See, the Feast of Passover lasted seven days. Feast of Pentecost, or first fruits, lasted one day. The Feast of Tabernacles lasted eight days. You say, well, eight days isn't too bad. Add travel time at the front end and the back end, which could be anywhere between two days and 20 days, depending where you lived in Israel. You could be gone 20 to 30 days. Do you understand that? This would affect your income. This would affect your work. There was cost to travel. And no doubt some of them were wondering to themselves, is it worth it? Is it worth it to take this much time off work to gather at God's house? Is it worth it to take this much time off work and gather with God's people? I've got mouths to feed and I've got bills to pay and I've got work to do and I don't want to fall behind in my errands and, and but you know what, I, I go to God's house enough anyway. I could be working. I could be work, making money instead of, I'm spending money. And maybe you're at home or you're here and you're asking the same questions. Is going to church worth it? Is gathering with God's people worth it? Is serving the Lord worth it? I got work to do. I got busy schedule. There's money to make. You know what God reminds them in this psalm? I'm always worth it. It's always worth coming to my house. It's always worth gathering with my people. It's always worth coming to worship. Let me tell you what's vain, God says. Verse 2. It's vain for you to rise up early. It's vain for you to retire late. It's vain for you to eat the bread of painful labors. It, see, it's, it's vain. It's vain without relying on me to keep getting up early. Work, 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 work. Out the door before the sun comes up, before the family's up, and putting in the extra hours. It's vain. It, it's vain for you to come home late at night. It's vain for you without relying on me. Work, 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 work. Staying up late at work. Working through dinner. Coming home in the dark. Bringing home work. Um, uh, kids already in bed. Because you got to build that business and you got to expand that territory and you got to increase your sales and market the name and network with more people and meet more clients and make money, more money, more money, cha-ching, ching, ching. That's what I got to do. He says it's all vain without me. He says it's vain working harder and harder and harder, eating the bread of painful labors, struggling and toiling and struggling and toiling and physically hurting your body. 
and emotionally hurting your spirit and relationally hurting your marriage, hurting your children, hurting your friendships, hurting your home. Now, there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with putting in a good day's work. As a matter of fact, God created us to work. There's fulfillment in work. He commands us to work. Work was actually a gift from God before sin entered the human race. Adam was given work to do to cultivate and keep the garden before the fall. So, yes, work hard. Yes, be diligent. And yes, be disciplined. And give it your all. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, that's the grave where you're going. He's saying, hey, you're going to die. Make the most of this life and work hard. And be disciplined, 2 Thessalonians 3. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. And he's speaking to Christians in a church. If anyone is not willing to work, he's not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, acting like busybodies. Saying, don't be lazy, be disciplined and get to work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Don't be mooching off other people. And provide for your family, 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He says, absolutely work hard and provide for your own family. But be balanced, Ecclesiastes 4.6. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after worthlessness, after meaninglessness, after emptiness, after the wind. So work hard and rest well. Because all of our work is vain, all of our work is vain, unless we're relying and trusting in God's favor and God's blessing. Ask the disciples who went fishing and caught nothing one day in Luke chapter 5, how God can take care of them. Jesus said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say. That's the key. I will rely on you. I will do as you say. And let down the nets. And when they did this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. That was at the beginning of their ministry. They had to learn it again at the very end of their ministry with Jesus after the resurrection. In John chapter 21, we read these words. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Boy, real good fishermen these guys, huh? When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Just what a fisherman wants to be asked. They answered him, no. <laughs> he said to them, cast the net on the right side, right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. And they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. In verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. When will we learn? When will we learn that it's not all in our strength? All of the toiling, all of the working, all of the struggling can result in absolutely nothing. You can have your plan in place and do all your marketing and everything. Zippo! Nothing! Maybe it's time 
to stop working so hard and start listening harder. Maybe it's time to cast your net, so to speak, on the right-hand side of the boat and listen to the right words of Jesus in Scripture instead of the wrong words of this world. Maybe it's time to depend on the Lord for your work and your livelihood. Maybe it's time to trust Him with your business and stop trying to do it all on your own. Maybe it's time to honor the Lord with your business and ask of God to provide. See, life is just sheer exhaustion and frustration when you just keep trying to do it on your own. It's time you start listening and relying and trusting in God. Because all it takes is one word from the Lord. And your net will fill. And your net will not fail nor break. See, Jesus can do more from the beach than you can do from your little boat. Jesus can do more from the beach than you could ever do with your little business. It's time to start relying on the Lord. Yes, work hard, but start trusting him. It's time to remember that last phrase, that last sentence in verse 2. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. See, he's a giving God. He gives. Ask him to provide. What is our God like? Matthew 7, 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You have such a good God who gives good gifts. Would you just ask him? Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He loves taking care of his children. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Trust him. See, he's a, he's a good God. He's a giving God. He's also a loving God. He gives to his beloved. He loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. Trust him. Live by faith. He loves you. And he's a powerful God, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And there's two ways to read and understand this verse. The first way is he gives to us while we sleep. So while we're sleeping, God is working. And he's working the third shift and the second shift and the first shift. So in other words, at night, say your prayers, go to sleep, and tell the Lord to have a good night at work. Because he's got your business. And he's got your work. He's in charge. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He watches over his children. Psalm 121. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so the first way to read this is that he gives even while we sleep. And the second way is he gives us sleep. Literal sleep. He lets us get our rest. Because he's in charge. And he's all powerful. And he's in control. And so get your rest. Get your sleep. Don't waste your life. Let God build it. Trust God to protect it. Ask God to provide it. And finally, thank God he's blessed it. He's blessed your life. And all of us are blessed in countless ways. And many of us have been blessed with children. And he's going to remind us and remind these Israelites that children are a blessing from God. That doesn't mean you're not blessed if you don't have kids. But you are blessed if you do. Look at verse 3 through 5. 
as we pick it up in Psalm 127. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, it's a really interesting transition he makes from verse 1 and 2 to verse 3 through 5. It's like, where's the connection? How, how does he put these two together? Well, the transition could be he's building a house physically to building a house biologically. The transition can also be that God gives sleep and God then also gives children. And by the way, some believe the transition with sleep is what happens when a husband and a wife sleep together? They have kids. That could be another transition. I believe one of the stronger transition goes back to the context. All of these families are making their way with tons of kids in tow. And traveling with kids is hard. Man, you got to eat, feed them. You don't eat them. You feed them. <laughs> you feed them and you clothe them and you load them up and you take off. And they could be gone upwards of 30 days. I want you to think about that. And you may say, well, they never take their kids to the, maybe they had babysitters or something. Oh, don't you remember Jesus traveling with his family of all things to Passover? Luke chapter 2. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, and after spending the full number of days required, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents were unaware of it. How is that possible? Instead, they thought he was somewhere in the caravan. So they traveled in these big groups of people with all the kids and all the families. And what happened? They went a day's journey. They began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem. They had to be frantic. And they're looking for him, and after three days, scouring the city of Jerusalem, they find him in the temple, because he had to be at his father's house, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening, and asking them questions. And there was no sin with Jesus. He's the sinless son of God, and he was in his father's house. But we see traveling with kids can be hard, and traveling with lots of kids can be even harder. Again, Traveling to church can be hard. You got to feed them, not eat them. You got to clothe them. You got to get them in the car. You got to get them ready. And they want this and they forgot that and their mittens fall off and whatever. And you know what these people needed to be reminded? Just like you and I need to be reminded. I need to remember these children are a gift from God. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. Did you notice he doesn't say grandchildren? Because that's obvious. They're the best in the world. <laughs> I need to be reminded my children are a gift. And your children are a gift. And gift actually carries the idea of an inheritance. Please understand that. So you're given something very valuable when God gives you a child. You're given something very precious and sometimes we forget children are a gift because they make messes and they cause headaches and they keep us up at night and they're time consuming and they're needy and they're expensive. Uh, my wife shared this with me just yesterday. I thought it was great. Being a parent is like jumping out of, a, out of a plane with a bunch of people who don't know how to open their own chutes and so you fly around doing it for them and then you hit the ground but you don't die. You get up and cook dinner. <laughs> Man, parenting is hard, people. 
It's hard being a dad. It's hard being a mom. And he says, your children, don't forget it, are a gift. And they are a gift. Right now, they are a gift. And boy, do I need to be reminded of this. And I need to remind my children of this. Because too often, all they hear me say is things like these. This, feed the dog. Take out the trash. Did you empty the dishwasher? Did you make your bed? Brush your teeth. Shovel the snow. See, when is the last time my children heard me tell them, you're a gift from God? When is the last time your children heard you say, you are a gift from God? And maybe it's just not our own kids that need to hear it. But other kids in homes that are not believing homes. Maybe we need to tell some of those neighborhood kids. You're a gift from God. And tell the teammates of your own child. You're a gift from God. Tell some of their classmates. You're a gift from God. Don't let your kids grow up not hearing that they're a gift. Don't let other kids grow up not hearing their gifts. Jesus made it clear. He felt children were a gift. In Mark chapter 10, they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. And the, with the disciples, the spiritual giants, rebuked the parents. Get those kids away from Jesus. Isn't that a spiritual response? Jesus saw them. He's indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Children are gifts that teach us so much about God. They are gifts from God. And he took them in his arms and he began blessing them and laying his hands on them. May we be more like Jesus when it comes to children who are sitting behind us on a plane screaming. May we be more like Jesus when it comes to children who are throwing a temper tantrum in a grocery store. May we be more like Jesus when it comes to children who are in a church service, running around, drawling, crying, or whatever. And may I say, may you never ever walk out on a child or abandon a child. Because if you walk out on a child and abandon a child, you have abandoned and walked out on God's special gift. And every child is a gift, including children that were unplanned, like myself. Anybody else? <laughs> My mom was a 17-year-old, unwed, pregnant teenager. And some of you know my story. Family friend gave her some abortion pills, illegal. And she started to take them. Until something happened, whether either she looked in her, her, at her belly or she looked in the mirror, and she decided she can't throw away God's gift. And I was born. Woohoo! Here I am. You are, you are a gift. And every unplanned pregnancy is a gift. And every unborn child is a gift. You realize that today we celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday. We remember Roe v. Wade. We remember the legalization of abortion in this nation. And the tens of thousands of gifts 
that have been discarded. And our hearts ache. And we pray for the end of this atrocity in our nation. If you're here, please understand, or you're online and you've had an abortion, God is full of grace. He is full of mercy and he loves you. And he died for all of our sins and none of us is without sin. And so please understand, God can take all of our shame, whatever it is, all of our guilt, all of our sorrow, all of our sin. Let him do that. Let him take that. But every child is a gift. As a matter of fact, Psalm 139 says, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That's what God is doing in the womb of a pregnant woman. He's knitting, he's creating this beautiful, remarkable gift. And wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it well. We're made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Little boys, little girls, only two genders, both precious in the sight of God. Children are a gift. He says children are a reward, the fruit of the womb, not the fruit of the loom. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This, this beautiful, special product takes time to develop, and it's a reward. In other words, your child is a reward. Your child is not a burden. Your child is a reward. Your child is not a penalty. Your child is a reward. And a reward is something that enriches our lives. And too many times, we as parents only think of kids and what they cost us. And we need to think about how they enrich us. So children are a gift, and children are a reward, and children are great potential, as well as great uh, protection. Look at verse 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Arrows are full of potential. You sharpen those little arrows with the word of God and you point those little arrows at honorable God-honoring targets and then you release those little arrows. You release those arrows for the glory of God and they fly all over the world and they're going to go places you've never been and they're going to do things you never dreamt of and they're going to accomplish what you never thought of. I remember all of my kids graduating from kindergarten at the school of Rural Christian where they went. They, they always sang a song for the, the uh, kindergarten graduation, I Am a Promise. You guys know that song? I am a promise. I am a possibility. And you have all these little five-year-olds re- singing this at the top of their lungs. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. It's just hysterical. But that's what they are. They're full of potential. They also offer protection. Look at verse 5. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. And let me say, never mock a full quiver. Never mock a family with a lot of kids. You may say, well, how many arrows are in a quiver? Anywhere between 8 and 24. That doesn't mean God wants you to have 24 kids. He's just saying a lot of kids. If there's a family with a lot of kids, don't you dare mock them. The world laughs and scoffs and makes jokes. Don't you dare. To mock a family with many children is to mock the God who gave those children. Please understand that. Don't you ever make fun or mock a family with a bunch of kids. 
Because to do that is to mock God who created those children and gave those gifts to that family. You may say, well, why does he mention gate in verse 5? They'll not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Well, the gate, like the gate that you saw earlier, the gates of any city in those days was where they would conduct business, they would settle legal disputes, they would take care of legal transactions. And not unlike today, elderly people would be taken advantage of. We see that today. It happened back then. And people will think twice about taking advantage of the elderly when they see a bunch, bunch of sharp arrows pointing at them, saying, hey, we're going to take care of mom. We're here to take care of dad. We're here to take care of our parents. See, children bring support. They bring security. They bring protection. As a warrior feels safe when he has arrows in hand, so there's greater sense of security and safety with children protecting their parents. So parents, appreciate your arrows and tell them that they're a gift. And arrows, you make sure you take care of mom and dad. You make sure you're there to protect them, especially as they get elderly in their age. And that's don't waste your life. God says, let me build it. Trust me to protect it. Ask me to provide it. And thank me because I've blessed your life. And all God's people said, amen. Let's bow our heads. Would you just pray, you at home and in person? Just take a moment. Would you just thank God for your children right now? Would you just thank God for those little gifts, those big gifts, those grand gifts? <laughs> Would you thank God for your parents? Would you pray for them? For you who are married, would you thank God for your marriage? Would you pray for your husband right now? Would you pray for your wife? And would you invite God back into your home? Invite him back right now. Because if he doesn't build it, it's in vain. If he doesn't protect it, it's in vain. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here in person or online and you need to invite God into your life. Lest it be in vain. You need to ask the Lord to be your savior. To forgive you of all your sins. And he will because he loves you and he died for you. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of my shame. I'm tired of the guilt. What do I need to do? In the quietness of this moment, sincerely in your heart, would you ask the Lord to be your Savior? Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you please save me from my sin? Would you please forgive me of all my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross for me. 
Thank you for loving me. Lord, I can't save myself. I place my faith in you alone. I place my faith in you alone to save me. Would you please forgive me? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.